1: You are too late. My blood now flows through your veins. He will live through the centuries to come as I have lived. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lord Shepard. <laughs> uh, this is the second part of our episode on Dracula by Bram Stoker. In the first part, we took you to Whitby. You got a bit tired about the amount of time we spent in Whitby. It well, was just very emotional. Uh, but we covered an awful lot of ground. A lot of stuff about biography. A lot of stuff about research. A lot of stuff about the technology of the book. Uh, this episode, we're coming back down to London. Hooray! We're going to start in Purfleet, out in Essex, on the uh, towards the Thames estuary, uh, and which is on the north. It's on the north bank of the River Thames. Then we're going to t- take you back into Piccadilly to try and find Dracula's home. Yes, perfectly to Piccadilly is an interesting little trip for the listener. The house that he took in Piccadilly. Uh, And then we're going to go up to North London. We're in South London. We live in South London. We're into North London, which is a bit of an adventure for anyone who lives in South London. Uh, We spent some time on Hampstead Heath. Yes, uh, we did. Which people do for all sorts of reasons. At dusk. We're going to finish in a churchyard in (laughs) Hampstead to try and find Lucy's grave. But, yeah, so we've got a lot a lot of ground to cover. Shall we, shall we head off up to Perfleet then, into Essex? Not without telling them that if they actually spend some money with us at Patreon, go to patreon.com oh, no, and search for Curiously Specific. I didn't do the promo. Exactly, you forgot. Stig, our head of marketing, is going to have your guts for Garthas. Yeah, he's going to hit me with a club. If you go to Patreon, you can support us, and that means you get this second part straight away. When part one is published, you get access to part two straight away rather than having to wait a week. You get it ad-free. And you get all our photos and videos and show notes. So head on over there if you haven't already, because it's a lot of added value. There's a lot it of added value but not stake. a lot of cash. Okay, thank you for reminding me to do that and then doing it. So That's I didn't fine. have to do it. Should we go to Perfleet now? Please. At Perfleet, on a by road, I came across just such a place as seemed to be required and where was displayed our dilapidated notice that the place was for sale. It is surrounded by a high wall of ancient structure built of heavy stones and has not been repaired for a large number of years. The closed gates were of heavy old oak and iron, all eaten with rust. The estate is called Carfax. It looks like part of a keep and is close to an old chapel or church. I could not enter it as I had not the key of the door leading to it from the house. So this is the house that Dracula buys in Perfleet so this is the site of Perfleet House that was built by Samuel Whitbread MP Perfleet's known for a number of things initially it's mainly known for chalk the place we're sitting in was a, is a chalk quarry and you can see the cliffs the chalk cliffs surround it so it's a hollow it didn't used to be a hollow it used to be a hill and uh, Whitbread bought up the chalk pits and built a house inside the chalk pits and also turned the old pits into a pleasure garden and so Perfleet became quite a place to come in the 19th century. Oh, you take a sort of paddle steamer down the you? take here, the steamer you? up the river, get off at uh, Perfleet, have a little wander around the Pleasure Garden, pop into the Royal Perfleet for a, for a G&T or a... Or a, a pint of whipbread. pint of whipbread. <laughs> and although there's no documentary evidence that Stoker came here, it's pretty clear that this is the kind of thing that theatrical types would do on a, on a Sunday... Let's the, get the boat out here. Oh, I see. Um, and the, what, what we like about it is the house isn't here anymore, and it's there's quite a lot of new housing that's been built in what would have been the old pleasure gardens. But there is a very good wall, and I like a good wall. There's a really good wall at the side of the where the house would have been, which is facing where we think the asylum would have been. So it all fits quite nicely. Yes, because there's a, the... The character Renfield, who's one of the inmates of the yeah. asylum, who eats flies and spiders and is looking for a cat. I like that character quite a lot. Um, he escapes, doesn't he, because he's had the calling from the master. The master is coming. They allow him to escape at some point to see where he's trying to get to, and he, he, he wants to jump over the wall... He and climbs get, over the wall. ..and get to the chapel of the, of the house, the Carfax Chapel. Now, there is a chapel, there is a ruined chapel... You can't get into it, though. You found it very frustrating because you, you, you thought there was going to be a spot of breaking and entering. I love a on. bit of trespass. You know me. You love a bit of trespass. But it's a very high metal fence all the way yeah, around They don't it. want you in there. The, the chapel is quite sinister. We can't get quite enough, close enough to it to gauge it's genuine. So what you're saying, the layout is good. The you're layout saying... is great. Mm. It's really good. And you can imagine we were saying, you know, when we, when we did our Eagle Has Landed podcast, we kind of speculated that most of it was done from the bar of the Blakeney Hotel, the research. Yeah. You can kind of imagine him doing the research from the bar of the Royal Perfleet Hotel, because well, you can see it, it's a very, very small place, Perfleet. He's a theatrical man, I, I, I think that we will learn from Whitby, he likes a good set, he, he likes does. A, a backdrop, he sees a scene, he sort of sees the backdrop and he sees the scene. So he loves a bit of that. Yeah. Which is quite ironic, isn't it? Because Perfleet now, of course, is... It's not ironic. I don't want to say ironic. It's, yeah. it's quite apposite, in fact. Yeah. The, the Royal Opera House set and costume store is in Perfleet. So if you wanted to put on a, a good old Dracula opera, it's a big place to come. you get all the costumes. But the one thing that he doesn't mention about Perfleet... Oh, yeah. yeah and one, one reason why Dracula may have been interested in it is the massive gunpowder magazines that were here yeah. from the end of the 18th century and five massive gunpowder magazines right by the river i mean there's one magazine left that's now got the number um, 5 the perthlet heritage centre in it which is unfortunately closed today we've just been reading the the sign for it for the for the gunpowder magazines apparently if they'd gone off <laughs> it would have taken off taken out like half of london or something it's not a place you want to go on holiday is it and so people used to come out you know i found a picture of people like paddling in the river they're probably wandering along there with a Siggy on. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally, outside the gunpowder yeah. stores. Yeah. Now well, um, one last thing to say about Perfley, of course, is it uh, was famous for something else uh, after Dracula came out in the early twentieth century. All right my loves. <laughs> All right, my loves. Stork magazine Stork margarine. Stork magazine. <laughs> Stork magazine, Stork Margarine. I'd read that. So um, Dutch the Dutch companies Jurgens yeah. and Vanderberg had a um, had a had a big factory here, making the biggest big, biggest Margarine factory in Europe, I think. Yes. Uh, and they, uh, as well as stalk they made, I can't believe it's not butter. Don't tell everyone, they might spread it. Yeah, very good. So, yeah, so there would have been a big wharf here. Now, I'm obviously interested in, in, in Doolittle Wharf. Dracula's ship that he takes back to the Black Sea leaves from a place called Doolittle's Wharf. Mm-hmm. There's no place called Doolittle's Wharf. I haven't been able to find it anywhere in the history of the Port of London. Okay. Anywhere, anywhere so up the river. Up. But there was Caspian's Wharf uh, and there was Harrison's Wharf. Now, you pointed out there is a Harrison connection to Doolittle. Rex Harrison played Dr (laughs) Doolittle. Come on. (laughs) Which is obviously what he's thinking of. Yeah. Isn't Stork lovely? It isn't Stork, is it? It is. It's Stork. (laughs) You can trust Stork. It tastes good enough to eat with nothing on. All right, my loves? We're going to talk a little bit now about the inspirations for Dracula, uh, where he got the idea from, Bram Stoker. Um, we actually listened to a fantastic podcast in the car up to Whitby, didn't we? It was a bit annoying this because, it in fact, it's, it, it was. I'm not saying it's better than ours, <laughs> but it was pretty good. I think they've got a bigger budget than ours. Yeah, it was an episode of In Our Time from the BBC that was talking about sort of the history of vampires in the 19th century. Well, it century. was it, initially it was about the vampire by Polidori, by Polidori which, which we'll if you don't to. know, listener, is a is Polidori was Lord Byron's personal physician. He was. and was on holiday with him and um, Mary Shelley and Percy Bysshe Shelley, and they tell each other ghost stories. Uh, Obviously, Frankenstein is what came out of that session. Um, And by all accounts, Byron then kind of came up with this kind of fragment story of of an aristocratic vampire that Polidori then turned into a... um, uh, a short novel So uh, so that was obviously an early inspiration But what was interesting about that podcast Was actually why Polidori and Byron Were interested in vampires in the first place mm. Was the stuff that was coming out Of Austro-Hungarian Empire At the end of the 18th century Where they were kind of going to places Like Transylvania and taking notes from peasants, the image of these civil servants write down these stories of, of people jumping out of trees onto people's heads. Well, tree and, people, yeah, tree uh, vampires and, uh, and sucking the tri- their blood. Yeah, one of the very important uh, just to talk one of the book the, the sort of the factual books that was um, an inspiration for this was a, a book called uh, The Land Beyond the Forest by Emily Gerard. Okay, that was published in 1887, and she talks about the Nosferatu. Do you have to say it like that? Nosferatu. Nosferatu. So uh, she talks about Romanian folklore and uh, myths. And she talks, more decidedly evil is the Nosferatu, or vampire, in which every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. There are two sorts of vampires, living and dead. The living vampire is generally the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons. But even a flawless pedigree will not insure anyone against the intrusion of a vampire into their family (laughs) vaults. I love that. Since every person killed by a Nosferatu becomes likewise a vampire after death and will continue to suck the blood of other innocent persons till the spirit has been exorcised by opening the grave of the suspected person and either driving a stake through the corpse or else firing a pistol shot into the coffin. That sounds a bit easier than the stuff they went through. (laughs) To walk smoking round the grave on each anniversary of the death is also supposed to be effective in confining the vampire. (laughs) (laughs) In very obstinate cases of vampirism, I like obstinate, it is recommended to cut off the head and replace it in the coffin with the mouth filled with garlic Uh or to extract the heart and burn it, strewing its ashes over the grave. Okay, So, so poor old Lucy... She gets her head cut off and her mouth she stuffed full of garlic. Didn't Rudyard Kipling write a poem called "The Vampire"? Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called "The Vampire." Yes, he did, and that was around that time. And that was—I'll tell you—who else wrote a poem, a, a story about a vampire? Yeah, Oscar Wilde. Oh, really? Uh, the Canterville Ghost. Oh, wow! Uh, and okay. also I've the other one that, that. was uh, surprised me, which I didn't know about, a few years before Dracula, yeah. Jules Verne wrote "Carpathian Castle," Oh, which is okay. a vampire story. Uh, well, there's a, lot, there's a lot of it about. The other one I quite liked was um, the phrase, for the blood is the life, which Dracula <laughs> says, was actually an ad for Clark's blood mixture what that appeared that? in the theatrical journal era in the early 19, 1890s. What is it? Uh, I don't know what Clark's blood mixture is. Presumably it's for making for improving what, know, for your for making blood. fake theatrical blood? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. Is that what it is? Oh, maybe it is, actually. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's a much better. I, I assumed it was some kind of um, you know, tonic or something, um, but that was that was that was but possibly goes. is. But yeah, yeah, Funny how our minds so, work differently. So <laughs> loads, of lo- <laughs> loads, of stuff. Right. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because I suppose that his one innovation is, is the word Dracula, isn't it? Which he got from he got from uh, both uh, allegedly from Arminius Vanbury, yeah. but also from Emily Gerard's book. Oh, that's she in has there as She well. says in there that Dracula means the devil. The attendant told me the patient had gone to the left and had taken a straight line, so I ran as quickly as I could. As I got through the belt of trees, I saw a white figure scale the high wall, which separates our grounds from those of the deserted house. I ran back at once, told the watchman to get three or four men immediately and follow me into the grounds of Carfax in case our friend might be dangerous. I got a ladder myself and, crossing the wall, dropped down on the other side. I could see Renfield's figure just disappearing behind the angle of the house, so I ran after him. On the far side of the house, I found him pressed close against the old iron-bound oak door of the chapel. Well, that gives us a bit to work with, doesn't it? So we're, we're sitting by the river at Perfleet now. <laughs> so the asylum, Jack Seawood is the uh, is the doctor at the asylum in Perfleet. Yes, um, which who originally has designs on Lucy. He is one of the three men in the slightly oddly comical section where three men propose to her on the same day. Yeah. And the same three men end up giving their blood to her later on. Yeah. Metaphorical clangor alert. <laughs> so I've just done a reading that tells you how to get from the asylum to Carfax. From what he's describing, we've discovered that um, there isn't an asylum here, listener. No. Don't worry about that. But there was, a, there was a sort of a military facility. The magazine was part of a complex that included a, a thing called an ordnance house, which yes. um, I've read is is the most likely kind of model in Stoker's mind for the asylum. Other side of the road into Perfleet from, from, from Carfax. Well, in my research for looking for asylums, which... I'm glad to say it's the first time I've had to look that up. There's a very good site called with a list of all the asylums in the United Kingdom, and there isn't one in Purfleet, and never has been. Mm-hmm. However, what I did then stumble across, which I found to be uh, fascinating, was another website called Lost Hospitals of London, which I think you may have. Oh, heard. that's the one I looked at for Dave the Triffid, yeah. Yes, exactly. Then this led me to... Um, a fantastic article so this is from the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine and it's by a guy called Nick Black and uh, it's entitled The Extraordinary Tale of Dartford the Hospital Town oh so bang opposite us well, across the river is Dartford. Dartford yeah and this article says that between 1877 and 1903 well bang on relevant bang on, dates, yeah, bang on. Something extraordinary in the history of the health services happened in the small North Kent town. The number of hospital beds in Dartford increased a staggering 60-fold to reach almost 10,000, this in a local population of just over 20,000. Oh, my God. One reason was um, loads and loads of um, problems with smallpox outbreaks in central London Uh. during this period. Especially in the 1880s. So a great fear of infection. Uh, Yes. And they didn't want to keep them in London, did they? No. So what did they do? They put them on boats. Okay, up the river. Yeah. And then they had hospital boats. They would have been bang opposite here. Oh, okay. So the beds were on boats. They had special um, horse-drawn sealed carriages to drive them from the dock. To the smallpox hospitals, the oh, new smallpox hospitals, because the locals were so scared of infection. That's chilling, isn't it? Nimbies, yeah, but they had smallpox nimbies. But down here, weird carriages going past, sealed up with infected people in them. Come on, it's quite yes, that's, that's quite the, good, isn't it? It's quite vibey. And then, of course, they decided they wanted to move the workhouses out. They also that because of the fevers and the sort of. Um, yeah the sort of heightened state when you get smallpox yeah that was associated with madness as well of mental health issues oh okay so that they if you got smallpox and you didn't recover properly then you might have stayed in here and then on top of that oh uh, yes yeah, so the passing of another lunacy act in 1890 so getting big on this yeah. exactly in this period they're really going for responsibility for your mental health care passed to the recently created county councils so there was an explosion yeah. Of uh, asylums, advertisements in 1891 for a site led to numerous offers, but the only one considered suitable was Baldwin's, an estate on the edge of Dartford Heath. So this is another one there. Purchased in 1894, opened 1897. Wow! So the same year Dracula was published. Yes, a brand new lunatic asylum, just across the river. <laughs> I'm crazy but here is now. and just as sane as you are then I can prove it true for when you hear my lullaby you'll know I'm not cuckoo oh I been born at night one morn and the whistle rang the moon I boil a cake and drink a sleep when the mud ties on and blow we had an argument on the beach in Whitby about a section of the book where the the Daily Graph a made up newspaper it's a telegraph though isn't it it could be and they don't um, have a Sunday edition. And it says, cutting from the daily graph, 8th of August. He's <laughs> just ignoring me now. <laughs> no, I'm just carrying on. Uh, that's the date it gives, and it describes the events of a... Um, uh, of a, uh, shipwreck. A, a shipwreck. Now, the, uh, the contention is, is that what does it mean by cutting from the daily, uh, daily graph, 8th of August? Does mm. that mean the newspaper itself was dated the 8th of August, which is what you would argue? Or does it mean that the story... Is bylined the eighth of August, which is what I would argue, which would suggest it was published perhaps on the ninth of August. But the point the point is that that Mina Harker on the sixth of August talks about um, talking to the Coast Guard about the ship, and we'll hear more or none about it. Yeah, but before can, the before the, the before the night's out. Yeah, and so she, the the report in the newspaper, whether it happens on the seventh or eighth, is not it, Irrespective of when that where that is, what's most important is. That the the boat was sc- spotted by the coast guard on the Saturday, yeah, but it which it. is the sixth of August, because that's when Mina spoke to the coast guard about it. Yeah, but it's spotted it's spotted off 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 Whitby, and it says we'll hear more about it anon. It Doesn't say when they'll hear more about um, it. All right, but I think that if you cross match those two things, that's a bit more convincing than yours, I'd say. Okay, all right. So if if it's the August the seventh, if it's the Saturday of the storm, yes, is is the seventh of August, yes. That makes the date of the book either 1886 or 1897. Okay, good. If the, if, the date of, if the storm is happening on the 6th of August... It's either 1892, 1898 or 1904. Okay. So uh, we've got some potential date ranges there. Yes. That would be fine if Stoker was then consistent <laughs> <laughs> later on in the book. Well, what you should know about this book right from the start Listen, if you haven't read it before is that pretty much every chapter and episode in it is dated because it's written as if the characters are writing diaries writing letters there's newspaper articles so it starts in it starts in April the 25th Mm -hmm. which is the Jack Seward's first diary entry talking of a rebuff um, I wrote the. Uh, t- I put this on our Patreon page for anyone who wants. It. You've I got wrote the. Whole the thing. I wrote the dates out in the order in which they happened. Fabulous. R- in the date order rather than the order in which they're in the book, and then it ends on the sixth of November. The sixth of November. It's also worth saying that there's a note at the end that says this all happened seven years ago. <laughs> oh, when does it say that? Harker's note at the end. Oh, I've completely missed that. I did want to say, by the way, a little plug to somebody who's. Um, who's doing something at the moment called Dracula Daily, where they are sending you an email to subscribe. and You can be sent the, uh, the the entries for the book of that day. Well, there's going to be a couple of days they have a struggle with, shall we, right. shall we say. Uh, so let's stick to the dating. So we've got 1897 or 1898, depending on that Saturday. Yes. There's also an episode in the September section where Mina and Jonathan Harker go to London mm. by train, more yeah. of which are none. And they see Dracula walking along Piccadilly. And Mina makes a couple of references to that. Mm. One one day, she says, that man we saw yesterday, she says that on September the 24th, mm. which would make the, the date they saw Piccadilly, saw him on Piccadilly, they... Um, the twenty third, hmm. but then later on, she says, "What did she say?" Uh, a week no, later, earlier, she's done a diary entry on the twenty second of September, saying, "Oh, we've spotted Dracula." We spotted Dracula, yes. Yeah. So, so she can't have, she can't have spotted it on the twenty third. She wrote about it on the twenty second. Exactly, exactly. So there's yeah, a there's so a there's that's a, there's just, a like, that's not right. So if it's the twenty second of August, yeah. uh, September that she sees him, that actually makes the date eighteen ninety eight. Yes, which matches my candidate. your version my of what yeah. But if she sees him on the twenty third, yeah. <laughs> that makes it eighteen ninety seven. Your candidate. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. So it's all He's playing it. It's all ways. a little bit mixed up. But then, I think you're getting the impression now, listener, you realise that while he's mentioned a lot of dates and places, yeah. somebody hasn't kept track of this properly. Somebody's not kept track.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com
1: slash style. At Piccadilly Circus, I discharged my cab and walked westward, beyond the Junior Constitutional. I came across the house described and was satisfied that this was the next of the lairs arranged by Dracula. Dracula. The house looked as though it had been long untenanted. The windows were encrusted with dust, and the shutters were up. All the framework was black with time, and from the iron the paint had mostly scaled away. Oh. So we are sitting in a green park in Again. London's Piccadilly. Again, we've been here. Three times, three, three times. books. What, what Secret Agent, Day the Triffids, now Dracula. Oh, yeah, very good. Um, you can hear the noise tr- of, of Piccadilly behind us, here. so we're in central London. We are here to search for Dracula's lair, uh, London residence. <laughs> he has a he has an outer town residence it lair. in Perfed or lair, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a London lair. I have a South London lair, and uh, yeah. So we've been walking up and down Piccadilly, comparing two buildings. Actually, I know this is this is contentious stuff. Yeah, so. What do we know for, for for a fact? We know that he walks past the junior, the constitutional. junior constitutional club. Yes, wow. Well, we know about the junior constitutional club because um, that was a club at one o one Piccadilly. Okay, did you know that it was actually the most? It's one of the largest clubs in history. It's a massive building. In ten, it had ten thousand members in eighteen ninety, and now it's the Japanese embassy. Uh, now it's the Japanese embassy. That's correct. Hmm. Yes. And, and we know that they come in at Fensho Street and get a cab down to the bottom of German Street. Yes. And uh, so they enter Green Park from the south side, just by the back of the river. So that we know it's between the Japanese Embassy and Hyde Park Corner. Yes. On the north side. And the numbering runs, roughly speaking, from about... Well, the Japanese Embassy is 101. 101. And then, uh, because these are big houses, it only gets up to about 140 yes. by the time you get to Hyde Park Corner, And there are only houses down one side of Piccadilly, yeah. the north side. Yeah. The south side is the park. Yeah. So it's between 101 and 140. Yes, now this is where we get into the perils of, of using the internet as our source of information. Right, because if you search for Dracula's house on Piccadilly, yes. you will be directed to... A few, I mean, a few blogs, but a few blog posts. Yeah, and they all—they all quote uh, a former chair of the Dracula Society. They do, but they all quote him reportedly. Reportedly, they saying don't link to him. I can't he... find his report on no, this. No, nor can I. Which is to say, that uh, number one hundred thirty-eight, one hundred thirty-eight is the which is now called Eon House. It's where Eon Productions are based. They I make mean, yeah, James he, Bond. James Bond. Yeah, but uh, that has a bay window. Yes. Balcony. The balcony. It's next to the Hard Rock Café. It doesn't have steps up to the front door. Doesn't mention the Hard Rock Café, does it? They he doesn't mention the Hard Rock which does seem to have been there for decades. <laughs> the, the, the book mentions steps up to the front door. It also mentions that there is a way in at the back of the house via a muse. Yes, they go and check out the back and talk to some people out the back there. Yeah. Because there's a number of stables Yep. And they talk to servants and, and stable yard lads about and when the, the property. And, and when the grand encounter with Dracula happens in the house... Oh, yeah. He escapes through the back. He, he jumps through a window, smashes, through, smashes a window. through a window. into the into the cobbled yard behind. Cobbled yard. And, uh, then, and then he goes through the stable, by the stable, the stable door. door. Before he leaves, he yeah. monologues quite lengthily. He does monologue quite lengthily. <laughs> Instead of just running away, yeah. <laughs> takes um, a good two minutes to stand there. Having jumped out a window, he some, <laughs> spends two minutes telling him what he thinks. It's some good Austin Powers monologuing. It's quite something. <laughs> now, now 138... There is no muse behind one three eight. No, there's just a big hotel it's now. A big hotel. There might have been in the past, but it, I think it's too near um, Park Lane. Yeah, it's right at the end. It's right at the lane. And the other end. thing about it is, is, it's the road is very wide there. Mm. Even wh- now, now there's an underpass on it, but yeah. it's wide enough to build an underpass on it. Yeah. And they're, if they're sitting in the park, watching the house, they're a long way from the house. Yeah. It's not a site for having a bench to. Uh, that's not really where you'd sit either. I don't. So know. we think we've got a better candidate, don't we, Tim? Oh, absolutely, we do.
0: Yeah. Uh, w- I- and what immediately,
1: is that? well, it's 105. 105. 105. A few doors down Piccadilly. from the uh, what was the junior constitutional club, also has a bay window, as described. Yeah. And a balcony. Yeah. Does have steps up to the front door. Yes. Check. Is quite close to the um, to the park check As you just, well actually there's a gateway into the park bang opposite immediately opposite so it means that you can just be hanging around the gate there well, you've got a very clear view through the gate passage but more than that if, you're the, house. if you're the author looking for a house and you just walk up you there, walk there oh there's a house there it's literally if you're walking up and you look through the gate there's 105 yeah it's too good And we're uh, starting to get a picture of Bram Stoker's kind yeah, of research yeah. aren't we it's quite um, it, surfacey. oh that'll do that'll do <laughs> good enough um, and then there is a muse at the back. There is a muse at the back, and there's now it's now a lot of garages. Yeah, and it's quite a sort of narrow alleyway sort of street, isn't it's been, it? It's been it, there's up. a lot of construction but, going yeah, on. Yeah, but back that there. one bit that's going towards Park Lane is looks quite sort of old. It does. It's now the Sheraton Hotel parking, but it would have um, been stables. But it does look good. It looks very good. So we like 105. We like 105 more than than better. 138. So all in all, I'm 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 much in favour of 105. And I don't care what the Dracula Society say. They should come here and have a look. What they did or didn't come say. On, yeah, come on. What they did or didn't say. Well, it's interesting how that spreads, isn't it? Because we've seen it about half a dozen blogs who so even use the same phrasing. That it's it's yeah. a bit like the Can't Cultural paste. Secretary's tweets. They're just cut and paste cut and Boris paste. Johnson tweets. Yeah. Is that just uh, that they've cut and paste Bit politics there. They've, they cut and paste from one blog to another. And that's how it prolifer- a fact proliferates. An internet fact proliferates. Yeah is that now all the blogs about Dracula's house in London say the same thing. So, Tim, come to my favourite part. Trains. Trains. Um, There's quite a few trains in this book. I thought this would be one of your favourite books of all time because of the amount of train travel going on in here and also that there's a moment where Mina Harker gets... Into detail of trains and how she, she's she's the kind of person like you mm. exactly like you mm. that um, when um, Van Helsing comes to visit her in Exeter, uh, she says, "Oh, you, if you get on the ten fourteen, then you'll be here at eleven what's it, and then I can pick up But you'll have to leave by sixteen fourteen yeah. if you want to get back in time without having to change at blah blah. She's exact. she you'd get on well with her, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't because she gets it all completely wrong. Oh. Right? it's give terrible advice. The most exciting part of this book is when you first, when we, first, when we, the first thing we see Dracula doing, other than welcoming Harker, is reading a copy of Bradshaw's. Right, a sure sign of evil. Yeah, a sure <laughs> sign of really evil and a, a great deal of advanced planning. So Bradshaw's, you, Dracula, and Michael Portillo. Oh yeah. I can put it anywhere. Um, leaving Michael to one side, Bradshaw's was the railway guide that was published um, from like the mid nineteenth century all the way up to the mid twentieth century. That listed all the trains and all the times and they went. Now, uh, there's a, there's various trains in this book. I consulted not one but two copies of Bradshaw's. 1887. You and got them out. You got them out of the London Library. They got them you? out of the London Library. They so really, in a hundred years' time, when they're looking for your marginalia, they're just going to find Bradshaw's with just little well, not estimation we marks I, <laughs> I looked. I looked them up. So there's 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 a bunch of trends taken. I I, I won't spend ages on this because the, you know the the the, the upsum oh, go on. Of, of this is the upsum of this is he's all over the place on the times. I don't know what is going on. I'm just going to talk about this this, this one this one episode because it, this is the worst. This is the most egregious. There are other egregious examples of this, but uh, okay. we, can go, we can go on. So um, on September the 25th, Mina telegrams Van Helsing. Come by the 1015 train. It arrives at 2.30. She says Paddington, okay? Because uh, you could get the train to Exeter from Waterloo. Okay. Tim. Yeah. Uh, so in the 1887 Bradshaws, the Paddington train leaves at 9 and arrives at 208. She's not bad. So, well, he would have missed it by an hour and a quarter. <laughs> in the nineteen ten Bradshaw, it leaves at uh, the same time, nine a.m., and arrives by one fifty two. So, it's a bit quicker. But the, mo- the worst example, the worst example <laughs> is when she says that our, her husband Jonathan Harker is arriving on the six twenty five from Launceston in the evening, yeah. arriving in Exxon at ten eighteen. Nearly yeah. four hours. It's fifty miles. Well it's a it's, it's a slow rural train. Bradshaw says it takes two hours and it leaves at seven thirteen. It's a slow rural train. It takes two hours, it leaves at, <laughs> at seven thirteen. He's completely I'm making sorry, this sorry. up. But if you're part of the London theatre crowd, <laughs> this is <laughs> just detail. This is tedious detail about things that go on on in places that don't matter. Professor had evidently noted the road we were to go for he went on unhesitatingly but as for me I was in quite a mix-up as to the locality. As we went further we met fewer and fewer people till at last we were somewhat surprised when we met even the patrol of horse police going their usual suburban round. At last we reached the wall of the churchyard which we climbed over with some little difficulty, for it was very dark and the whole place seemed so strange to us. We found the Western Ratum. The professor took the key, opened the creaky door and, standing back, politely but quite unconsciously, motioned me to precede him. (laughs) Was that spooky enough? It was quite spooky. Well, it's made more spooky by the fact that you're reading it in a churchyard... A graveyard we are surrounded by gravestones. It is just gone full dark. We're at um, the Church of St. John in Hampstead. yes, I think that's right it's an old churchyard it's eighteen eleven It is very, very atmospheric you can always when, t- when, I, when I walked in here, there was an owl hooted. And two bats flew over my head. Well, what more could you ask for? They do tend to follow me around. So that was pretty... Um, Atmos, as we So it's it's Atmos Central. St John at Hampstead. So we're going to talk a little bit about the cemetery where... Or the churchyard, as it's described. It's not described as a cemetery, it's described as a churchyard. Where Lucy Westenra is interred in her family mausoleum. Although she's not actually dead. Um, I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, the, it's, it's, an extra, it's an extraordinary stretch in the book. I think it's the best bit in the book, actually, this bit. It's really pacey and creepy and weird, but basically children have started to go missing in Hampstead. And Van Helsing and Seaward, um go to the tomb and wait for Lucy to come, and she comes with a child. She rises from the dead and goes out onto the heath and she's, gets... Yeah children to feed on so they go away again and then they come back don't they with the rest of the gang uh, they seal her in by putting sort of garlic around the door they do they, they seal her in so she can't get any more children mm. rather than dealing with her there and then it's <laughs> a bit weird and then they come back with knives and steaks and stuff like that and yeah. um put a stake through her heart and cut off her head. Well, only before they get her fiancé to come along. Yes, to do it. Well, he, and he, he's not that keen on doing it. And then she she wakes up, doesn't she? she? And gets she all voluptuous on him. She says, come and kiss me. Kiss me. Kiss me. And kiss then she's me. about to sort of try and bite him. And she, yeah. he realises that he's got to do the deed. And she's undead. So then they not only do they put a stake through the heart, they chop her head off and then stuff her head full of garlic. So we've been doing some... The churchyard is called Kingstead in the book. Uh, which there's no such place, so we're we we obviously trying to f- figure out where this churchyard could actually be. We've come here because it's a really good location for what happens in the book. So in the book they uh, they start off at a place called Jack Straw's Castle, which is an inn, yeah, which is kind of in the middle of the heath, really. No longer an inn; it's now been in developed into flats. So it's a really ugly building. They then go; they then walk from there. And that's where Seward says, I don't really know where we were going. And we did that. We, we did that. We came really and, it, and we that going. really worked. I mean, that, walking through the back streets of Hampstead. Spooky. Lots of Gothic buildings. Spooky. Amazing. Nothing like none, not, nowhere else in London. Not many if you've never been it. to Hampstead and, 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 and visited it, come at night and walk around the back streets. Mm. Try not to get arrested. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, a really, it's really amazing. It's a really amazing place. And we ended up here. Which is so, this is good. This is a good location for having come from Straws Castle. Having sealed Lucy in, they then take the child, which she's basically just dropped. They take it back to the heath because the police are around and leave the child at the edge of the heath. Mm. But then they go to Spaniards, which is quite they go about north. another half mile north of Jatstraw's Castle to get a cab. Yeah. So that bit's a bit weird. But yeah, why well, would you do that to go you, back into town? If you took that bit out. This would be absolutely perfect. The walk's brilliant, the location is Location's brilliant. great. I would say the churchyard isn't quite right. Only it feels because to of me. the absence of a massive mausoleum. There's no massive mausoleum. And it's there's no, no big wall either. It, oh no, behind us there's a wall. There is a wall, there is a wall. But you'd have to climb over the other side because there's iron railings actually. Which which on could easily side. conceivably have been a wall back in the day. Okay. But it's an 1811 churchyard, so it's before the, kind of the, the taste for big mausoleums came in with the Victorians. Yeah. And there's no room for a big mausoleum. So I'm not sure it's quite right. But there are some other candidates around here. Now, you mentioned Golders Green crematorium. Yes, I was just interested uh, about the idea that if you go... Crematorium because that's where Bram Stoker's ashes are interred, right? That would be funny, wouldn't it? Yeah. But uh, the trouble with that is it opened after 1900. Oh, OK. Then. So that it can't work. be that. That doesn't work. The other option is Hampstead Cemetery. Yes, you you like Which that I to. quite like. Yes. Right? Why do you like that? Um, well, it's it's got a wall around it. Yes. It's also got, interestingly, the uh, um, the son of Henry Irving, H.B. Yeah. Irving, was buried in Hampstead Cemetery. So I think it's probably got a quite a... It's got quite a distinguished... Henry Arthur Jones, playwright, was buried there. Great Week Kate Greenaway is buried there. So, you know, it's quite good. I think it's probably a little bit too far away. It does seem like a bit of a walk to get to there, isn't it? Because you're practically on... You're down in uh, Kilburn, by then, aren't
0: you? Yeah, it's a long
1: way down the hill. It's not really in Hampstead. The only other good candidate reason why that would be good as well is that there's a. In the book, they talk about the children being grabbed off Shooters Hill or Shooter Hill. Yeah, and right by Hampstead, there's a there's Shoot Up Hill. Shoot Up Hill, exactly. Yeah. So So that's quite good. uh, Might figure. Yeah. Big mausoleums in it, though, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, the one that's got really big mausoleums in it and the actual sort of the the granddaddy of cemeteries around here is obviously Highgate. Yeah, I think that's what probably our listener is thinking of that in their heads. And a lot of Dracula, I wouldn't say experts, but a lot of Dracula cognoscenti um, sort of assume that Highgate is the cemetery they're talking about. I'm not so sure. It's on the wrong side. It's on the wrong side of the heath. Yeah. There's no mention of Highgate anywhere in in the novel. No. It's got a massive wall around it. It's not the kind of wall you climb over. No. But... Somewhere in there, those so some Hampstead here and Highgate, there's, there's a composite thing going on, I think. Yeah, probably, probably. About the, it is. the one other thing is, of course, he's got his mate he dedicated the book to, oh. Hall Cain. Hall Cain. Now, Hall Cain, but he was for a long time, he was Rossetti's secretary, Dante yes. Rossetti, yes. And of course, he, Pre-Raphaelite would have, artist. he would have told Bram Stoker about the story of that Rossetti's uh, wife. Who's a very famous artist model? Her yeah. name escapes me, and I should remember her name. Um, when she died, he buried with her a, uh, his only copy of his poems, his love poems to her, and then was persuaded some years later, when he was down on his luck and in need of drug money, basically, <laughs> that to um, to go and um, disinter the the, the uh, coffin. Oh, really. And um get hold of the poems and get them published. And they were highly successful. Wow. And made it made him a lot of money. Wow. Um and I, I'm assuming that his secretary helped him with that little job. Mr Kane. Of going in and they went into Highgate Cemetery and, and opened up a coffin of a beautiful young lady. Okay, so there's a bit of a backstory there. Yeah. Not bad, eh? Yeah, yeah. So again I think that's in the mix, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But I have a little surprise for you. In that I found one more. Right. What, round here? No, it's not round here. So it can't be a walk from Hampstead Heath. Right. I'll grant you that. But it was such an interesting find, this. I found this amazing blog post. Isn't the internet wonderful sometimes? Mm. Called Grave Expectations and Dwyends of Death. Well, that's the name of the blog. Yeah. cemeteries are outdoor archives, tangible time capsules accessible fragments of our collective heritage and individual tales of love and loss Wow Our Sounds site good. relates to the cemeteries of London and beyond with contributions by Rowan Lennon Dr Romany Reagan and Sam Perrin and this article is called Bram Stoker versus Highgate Cemetery Now it's very long mm. but it, and it goes into a lot of depth about why Highgate is probably not the right one so if you want to read that up listen it's very good it's on a it's a the url is misssamperin.blogspot.com it does it does discuss Hampstead um, cemetery as well makes a good case for it but then goes on to say another very plausible candidate is st mary's churchyard in hendon hendon yeah it seems like a weird one doesn't it the only thing i know hendon for is where the police academy is yes i know but here it says it says it says here that that Bram Stoker would have been well aware of a story that goes about three men, Henry Holm, James Wood and Charles Charsley, broke into a vault in St Mary's Church at churchyard and decapitated one of the corpses within. No. They were apprehended and it emerged the owner of the severed head was Henry Holm's own mother, who'd been dead for 20 years. The public were outraged, but explaining his rationale to a packed courtroom, Holm claimed that he did it purely in the interest of science and he was attempting to trace the source of an inherited family illness. The three men were found guilty, but were not jailed, their saving grace being that they'd committed the misdemeanour with the idea of furthering the interests of science. This is the kicker, which I thought was absolutely amazing. It says, St Mary's churchyard is roughly situated between Kingsbury to the west and Hampstead to the east. Hence Kingstead. Hence Kingstead. Very nice pretty good, huh? Very good. And then he's also, noted, you may have noted, two of the three desecrator's surnames were Holm and Wood. Holmwood oh, oh. is the surname of one of the main oh, characters Homewood, faced yeah. with the task of decapitating Louis the fiancé, West- isn't it? Yeah. Very good. Weird coincidence? Very good. I've just remembered another reason why it can't be Highgate. Go on. And it's much more of a reason in our kind of w- our wheelhouse. Uh, they talk about the sun coming up. Over Hampstead he- he- Heath, yes. When they're in the graveyard, so which means they must be to the west of Hampstead Heath, yes. And how Highgate is to the east of Hampstead Heath, so you wouldn't be. The sun wouldn't come up over over the heath if you were in Highgate, right? So now's the time we reduce this very long and detailed book <laughs> into us into a couple of marks, two numbers. Two numbers, the artistic rating and our Q-spec, curiously specific rating for whether the writer is being... It's not that they have to be entirely accurate about their dates and locations, but they have to take dating and locations seriously. seriously. So first of all, should we start with artistic artistic rating for, yeah. for Bram Stoker's Dracula? You were, when we first started reading this, you got very excited and said, it's, it's a 10 for me, you, were, you loved yeah. it. And, but I knew exactly what happened to you, that you were reading the Hampstead Heath Lucy section, yeah. and it was, which is terrific. It is terrific. And you hadn't got into the long, tedious... <sighs> Van Helsing. Here is a. Let me tell you in detail about the plan that I am going to the do. Last, but the last twenty percent of the book is just quite it's long. Just, isn't it? It's just it's quite you know, long, and all the kind of detail about them chasing yeah. down. I am still going to give it a bit like a bit like Day of the Triffids. Then as well, it just ends. Yeah, it drifts off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They chase him down back to his castle, yeah. and then they attack him, and then he's killed. Kill him, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's that, that, that easy. It's that easy, and it's like you know. So, so I am going to give it an eight. Oh, okay. So I am still, I am still going to say very high for artistic. Uh, ambition a because I really love the format I love all the writing of letters yeah. and the telegrams and the, the sort of mixed meat I, I would as an interactive writer I yeah. think oh this is it's immersive this is, this is multimedia this it's is immersive it's multimedia yeah. um and just generally it's a good st- an iconic story well I thought you were going to say good story well told because I, d- I think it is a good story but I don't think it's well told mm. um I think the uh the, the the scaffolding of the story is amazing and some of the set pieces are some also of the amazing. Some set pieces are amazing. But literally, whenever, when Van, whenever the Van Helsing starts out, is incredibly but great. Whenever Van Helsing starts talking, you just want to switch off and kind of like hit the skip button. <laughs> I'm giving it a six. Wow. Yeah, no, I no, am just. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised. By six, that. six with ten in parts. Gosh. Okay, and then here we go. The Q spec rating. Yeah. The trains thing is you're in. He's in big trouble with you, isn't he? He is in big trouble with me. I mean, I think he's gone to a lot of effort to make it very specific, actually, about, you know, um, mm. the uh, the places. And mm. as you always say, quite rightly, one of the tests for that is, you know, can you go and have the adventure yourself? Mm. Well, you can well, sort, it, of. sort of have it in England. The train stuff is just bonkers and all over the place mm. and crazy and... Uh, uh, and also, we were slightly sceptical about the kind of running across Whitby Harbour that, that uh, Mina mean Time is on do. that a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, tr- like, yeah, she'd have to be super fit. Uh, yeah. and Ten uh, minutes to, to run and the letter all the way from across the, there. And the letter from the solicitors that arrives the day before he goes to the solicitors. <sighs> basic it, 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 it's, it's, basic uh, errors. A few basic errors. So I do get this impression that the editor was gr- <laughs> desperately trying to drag this into some kind of shape and order. Yeah. So I'm afraid it's another six from me. Wow. Yeah, so it's 12 altogether. Yeah lowest score yet for yeah, me. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. But I'm going to uh, I'm with you. I think uh, well, I'll I'll go 6. I was almost going to go 5. Yeah. Um, and be really harsh. But I think the point is that he he puts a lot of dates out there. He so does. if you make a few mistakes, we might let you he off. Has, he has he has he himself up to uh, uh, a uh, uh, a big old trap to there. a couple of chances of big But I but my main beef is He's not he, I don't sense he's taking it seriously. Uh, we'd like to do some thank yous at this point. We'd like to thank you some some music people. Who As always, we try and thank the people who help us with the other audio elements. Um, I'd like to thank a couple of people. The creepy music that you heard at the beginning of the first and second episode was called Orlok Approaches. So Orlok is the, uh, is the main creepy guy in Nosferatu, the uh, Murnau film that uh, uh, Florence sued the Germans over. Okay. Said it was stolen off Dracula, so uh, it's by Devil Music. I got it off the Free Music Archive. Of course it is. The album is basically uh, it's called Nosferatu, and it's basically a course symphony based on the film. Of <laughs> course it so, is. So uh, Approach approaches by Devil Music. Uh, you can find them on the Free Music Archive, FreeMusicArchive.org. The rather nice sea shanty in Episode One, The Whitby Lad, mm. was uh, was was by an Australian chap actually called Daniel Kelly. Okay. You can find him on uh, YouTube at Daniel Kelly Folk. So he doesn't Music. live in Whitby. He doesn't live in Whitby. Oh, right. I did email him to ask his permission to use it, and he was kindly granted. But yeah. actually, he, um, he's got a very good Dracula song called While Dracula Softly Creeps, oh. to the tune of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which I didn't use... For obvious copyright reasons. Yeah, I get the feeling that a thanks at the end of the podcast isn't going to be enough. Is for it that. going to crack it with Apple <laughs> Corp? I would uh, strongly recommend you go to YouTube though and search for Daniel Kelly uh, and search for Wild Dracula Softly Creeps. Yeah, it, it is very funny, hilarious. Yeah, very good. Um, so those are my thank yous. Oh, and well, I'm talking of Free Music Archive. You had Devil Music. Uh, we 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 use Learning Music. Oh. Much more positive That's on my side of the table. Segway. Yes. But learning music, as uh, anyone who's been listening to our podcast knows, is uh, the composer of our little uh, sting or loop, bassy loop, um, and is available at the full track. is called Trebek's Lament, I believe, uh, and can be found on Free Music Archive. Very good. I've got one other thank you I'm going to surprise you with. Go on. Um, which uh, relates to our previous podcast, The Woman in Black. Okay, um, I got a lovely email from a mutual friend of ours, Tom Hostler. Oh, hello, Tom. Who wrote a very nice email, but also quite a long sort of memoir document that he's attached about um, growing up on the east coast of Lincolnshire, on that spooky, marshy coast. Oh, is that where he's from? Yes. All oh, right. right. Um, and he goes into detail about um, what was going on on that coast during the 60s and 70s. Oh, ah, very really good. Um, now, I'm going to, with his permission, uh, post that on curiouslyspecific.com as not, a post. Not on the Patreon page. Gonna make that I'm going to make everybody. that available to all, Okay, very that good. one, because I think that's only fair. Yeah, we do have a blog at curiouslyspecific.com where we put um, stuff that we want to share with everybody. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, we've also got our Patreon page, which is where we st- share a lot more stuff oh, with yes. paying subscribers. Well, for Women in Black, there's, gonna, there's, a, there's maps videos, yeah. all kinds of stuff. There's some good stuff on and there. And the show notes, obviously. There's some good stuff on there. Yeah. Um, okay. We've got to talk about social media, though. Social we? media, Stigar. Uh, can't just talk too. about websites and Patreon. We're also on all the social media platforms. Not all of them. Oh, we're not maybe. on TikTok yet. I thought you were going to start doing a TikTok. a TikTok account, but it's, it's quite fallow. <laughs> uh, but we are on uh, Twitter at Curiously Spec. Curiously Specific. Book Club on Insta on Instagram, which you've been enjoying. Yes, we would be. I, I like doing you the stories insta-lead. about our field trips, yeah, it's yeah, good fun, they're good fun. Yeah, and we're also on Facebook. I have actually gone on to Facebook. Have for you the last really? Week. Do yeah. they let you on there? Reactivated my account. Wow, realised that we had quite a lot of people following the curiosity Specific Book Club page. Yes. So thank you, everyone, for well, following Well, Stig's going to be very pleased gonna with you. Thrilled. He's going to give you a little gold star for that, isn't he, little rather little than a, a thump on the head with oh, his club. Yeah, which is very good. So, yeah, so curiosity Spec or curiosity Specific, pretty much everywhere apart from TikTok. Yeah. Oh, we're not on Snapchat either because I don't understand Snapchat. It's for young people. I don't even know what that no. is. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you can, of course, comment and like and share on your podcast platform of choice where, uh, where you are listening. Could rate and review us exactly. If you rate and review us, then that means we might spread a bit more, and there'll be more of us yeah. to to c- talk about all these fabulous yeah, books that we yeah. do and the journeys that we do. So get in touch in any of these other ways, and then, of course, sign up for Patreon. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.